0: Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Well, happy Valentine's Day. I hope it's a great day for you. It's great to experience uh, those people taking the next step of their faith and following Christ in baptism. Let's just give them a hand for, for saying, yes, I believe in Jesus and I want the world to know and I'm going to obey him. Well, today we're starting up a brand new series called The One. And this series called The One is about relationships, Now, some of you, when you hear relationship series, you're thinking, oh, no, not that. It's already Valentine's Day, and now I got to think about relationships. But the reality is how much of our life is spent searching for the one, praying for the one, hoping for the one, finding them, being with them, getting rid of them maybe in your case. But a lot of our life revolves around the one. I found my one back in the early 90s when I was in school. This is what we looked like back then. This is a picture from 1990. There's a story that goes behind that picture. There's a story of love. Love. Well, first there's a story of attraction, then there's a story of falling in love, and then the story moves to falling deeply in love, and then it moves to marriage, and then it moves to life together and kids, and here we are 23 years later. For two years, we were just hanging out together, we were just friends, in the same group of friends, and you might think, man, Donnie, it took you a while, two years, that's how long it took, it did, took me that much time. Because I had some standards I was thinking about when I was thinking about the one. My faith was brand new back then. I had just come directly out of the world into the church, into believing in Jesus and following him, and immediately I had some mentors around me. I would say, okay, what do I need to be looking for when it comes to female companionship? And I remember thinking, all right, they have to love Jesus. That's number one. And they have to love the fact that I love Jesus. And I would really like it if they were really nice looking. That's that's like number three. (laughs) I would really like to be attracted to them. And when all those things came together, I said, that is the one. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the one. You might think, well, I'm single. What do you mean the one? Well, I'm already married. What do you mean the one? What we're going to talk about has to do with everybody, whether you're single whether you're married, single again, you've given up on the whole marriage thing, no matter where you are relationally in life, you're going to really benefit from what we're gonna be talking about over the next few weeks. It all revolves around a story, a story of attraction and courtship and marriage and a maturing marriage and two people expressing their love to each other before God. That's in the Bible. It's recorded in an Old Testament book called The Song of Songs. There's some Bibles come down the aisles right now. Just raise your hand. You can take one of those. You're going to want to read more from what I talk about today. So if you don't have a Bible, please take one of those. It's yours to keep. We also put all the scriptures up on the screen as well. You may have heard of the Song of Songs in a different way. Some translations call it the Song of Solomon. And the Song of Songs was written about 950 years before the time of Christ. Primarily, it's written by King Solomon. That's why some translations call it the Song of Solomon. But what he's talking about and what he's recording and and writing down in the Song of Songs is like saying, you know, Jesus is the king of kings. I mean, he's the king to end all kings. And so Solomon says, this is the song to end all songs. This is like the best song, and they're really songs and poetry of two people expressing their love to each other. Solomon also wrote some other books called the Wisdom Books. He wrote the book of most of the Proverbs. He wrote uh, Ecclesiastes, and now we get to his other body of writing in the Old Testament called the Song of Songs. It uses really poetic language, to talk about love. It uses poetic language to talk about each other's bodies and what they think and feel and what's going on inside of them. These are, these are ancient love songs that we're going to read about. And they're so much more valuable than, you know, all about that base. You know, they just use, they use words that describe how they feel about each other. And some of their thoughts, and even fantasies about each other. This is in the Bible. You're like, okay, stop. I want to read this book. They would have been the chart-topper songs of the centuries before Christ. This book, it's hot in places. I mean, it talks about sex. It does. By the way, this message is definitely PG-13. So if your kids aren't Life LifePoint Kids... You're going to want to do that now unless you just want to go ahead and have a talk on the way home today. The Bible talks about sex. This week is not all about that, but one of the weeks in this message, I'm not going to tell you which one, so you got to be here for every week. We're talking specifically about what does the Bible have to say about sex? Because God has a lot of advice about things, sex and money and the way we live our life. He didn't just say, you know, treat sex like a grenade and hand it to us and say, all right, deal with it, figure it out. God gave us all the equipment and he gave us the instructions on how to use it. And that's what we're going to be talking about in some of this series. You're definitely going to be coming back now. This book is so, uh, it, it gets so specific in places that in history, Jewish boys were not allowed to read this book because it talks so specific about the relationship between a man and a woman. Can you imagine knocking on your 14-year-old's door? Hey, what are you doing? Are you reading the Bible in there? Are you reading that book again? Stop that. It gets that specific. It comes from different perspectives. Solomon speaks. Mrs. Solomon speaks. Their friends speak into their relationship. And all of that is recorded in poetic language for us to learn from if this were made into a movie today, it would definitely be rated R. So I could stop now and you're like, okay, honey, we haven't read the Bible enough. (laughs) We We need to go home and we need to read the Bible. But it truly is a story of love and courtship and marriage. But it doesn't start with talking about sex. It starts talking about something much deeper than that. See, What he's about to talk about and his wife are about to share with each other, maybe they were looking into the past and remembering it. Maybe it was in real time, but they're both talking about the beginnings of their relationship. They're both talking about what it was like to realize he's the one, she's the one. And because I have talked to so many people who are looking for the one, Who think they might have married the wrong one, who may have been mistreated by someone they thought was the one, and now they're looking again. They're looking for the one. And this book, over the next few weeks, is going to help us know what that search should look like. So if we're looking for the one, we have to start where? With us. Not on the search. We have to start in here. We have to start with being the one. I love the way author Andy Stanley says it. He says, become the person you're looking for is looking for. In other words, you're not going to find the right one until you become the right one and become the person that someone is looking for is looking for. So today's about being the one. So get your pens out, write this down. So here's, here's, some, here's how the book of Song of Songs tells us if we're going to be the one, We need to start right where the book Song of Songs starts, and that is with having godly character, being the one with godly character. And we start out the book, and it says this in chapter one. This is Solomon's Song of Songs, more wonderful than any other, and then she starts talking. Let him kiss me with the kiss of his mouth. It jumps right into it, see? For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. She's saying, no wonder everyone loves you because you're amazing. It's talking about desire. And this book very quickly moves from I desire one and I want you to I want you only. It moves from desire to exclusivity. And this young woman, Mrs. Solomon, is describing her feelings. She's looking at him saying, I want to kiss you. You are like a good wine, and I want to kiss you. I want you to kiss me. And she says, "You're, you're pleasing like a fragrance of your perfumes, in that day, everybody had, especially royalty, would have had a lot of perfumes because they didn't shower every day. They didn't have deodorant, so they would have smelled bad had they not covered themselves with perfume. And she's saying, you are like that. You are that pleasing. And then she very quickly says, your name, hearing your name is like the fragrance of pouring out expensive perfume. She's saying your name, when people hear it, When people hear your name, they think of your character. She was attracted first to his character. She's saying, no wonder. No wonder people love you. They look at you and they see a person of character who fills up the room the way poured out, the fragrance of a poured out perfume fills up a room. You have godly character. And she's saying, I'm attracted to that. She doesn't say you're hot, your body is great, you look awesome. She says, you have character, and that attracts me to you. So your character, is either going to draw people to you, or it's going to repel people from you? And she first looks at this guy's character. He's hot, will not support a marriage. It might work in the beginning. The physical pull, is all, it, it might work in the beginning, but lasting pull has to come from something else. And for her, the first thing was godly character. She's saying, I'm interested in that. And if you're going to be the one before you go out and find the one, then you have to decide what you're attracted to. Is just what you see? Or is it someone's character? So she decided, I am attracted to this man's character who he is, the kind of person he is, the kind of life that he leads, and that attracts me to him. And then she moves on, and she gets really honest. Because if I'm going to be the one, I got to be really honest about who I am. And she says this, dark am I, yet lovely daughters of Jerusalem. She's also speaking to a group of friends dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tents, tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I had to neglect. Now she's talking about, not race, when she talked about her dark skin, she's talking about, I've been out in the sun. My skin is darkened. It's weathered. And in that day, it meant she was just a working-class girl, that she was not royalty. And she compared her skins to these tents and these curtains that were made with dried goat skins, which turned a leathery, dark color. And she's saying, that's who I am. I'm just a working-class girl. Now, that's hard for us to understand because we think When somebody's tan, when they're ripped, when they got muscles, guys, when you're looking at muscular fit girls with really nice physique or the other way around, girls, you're looking at guys like that and you think, wow, look at that bronze body. Look at that. Look at the way those muscles are formed. But to them, when a woman's skin was made dark by the sun or she was muscular or what we would call fit, it meant she was low class. It meant that she was not attractive. Look at just European art. Look, look at that history. Women who are depicted as attractive were pale and plump. If you look, maybe you're like, yes, thank you, God, you know. <laughs> somebody noticed. But back then, that's what was attractive. Look at the artwork. Because when somebody got lean and they got their, sun, their skin weathered from the sun they viewed that as not attractive. It was frowned upon, meaning you're not royalty. You have to work for a living. But she is so honest about who she is and seems at peace about it. She says, look, my skin might be weathered and I might have a fit body and be, have a great physique, but that's because I've had to neglect my body to take care of my family's vineyards that my brothers forced me to take care of. And she says, I might be dark, but when I look in the mirror, I see beauty and I'm lovely. That gives great insight because if you're looking in the mirror and you don't love what you see, if you're not happy with what you see, of course, fix it all you can. But that's how God created you. And she's saying, this is who I am. And when I look in the mirror, I see beauty. I'm not going to be like somebody else. This is essentially what this woman's saying. I'm not going to be somebody else. I'm dark. I'm physique. I got great physique. I work out in the fields. I neglect my body. I'm not light and plump like all the other girls. And I'm going to stop comparing my looks to theirs. And not just physically. When you go into a relationship, you take your past. You take whoever you are. And she's saying, this is who I am. I just want you to know, I still think it's lovely, but Solomon, you need to know who I am. I can remember when Cindy and I uh, started dating and then I was like, wow, this is getting serious. I really like this girl. Uh, This is great. I love her. And I can remember because I had not been following Christ long at all. And before that, I was living as far away from him as possible in the way I live my life. And I'd I'd done things that I wasn't proud of. So one day I just say, I just want to tell you what my life was like. I want to tell you what happened to me. I want to tell you what I did. So I was honest about that. So there is nothing, if she was hanging out with my old friends from the time before I knew Christ, there's no story they could have told that she would have said, why didn't you tell me about that? Why didn't you tell me about that? because I thought, I'm doing this right. And I have friends that I've counseled with who chose not to be honest about who they were and where they had been and what they had done. They get married. Years later, something happens. Something gets said. They find out, and the the conversation is, why were you not honest with me? Why did you not tell me this? And so if I'm gonna be the one, I have to think about I must be honest with who I am And that doesn't mean dig up every little thing. It's just, this is is what I did. Or I've made a lot of mistakes. And I just want you to know that I'm gonna do it right this time. And that's what she was doing. She's saying, I'm just gonna be honest up front. I'm a working class girl. But there's something about you, Solomon. I love you, your character. You may not think I'm good enough, but this is who I am. So if you're gonna be the one Not only do you have to be the one with character, you need to be the one who is honest. The next section of Scripture, she moves into talking about her standards. So be the one with higher standards. She says to him, Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? Now, a veiled woman in that day would have been a woman, and they were usually in groups, that would sell themselves to men for sexual favors. They were prostitutes. And she's saying, I'm not gonna be like that. I have higher standards. I might think you're great. I might want you to just embrace me and kiss me. I might think you're wonderful. You have all this character. I'm honest with myself, but I will not lower my standards for you and I'm not going to be like all of those other women. And she's saying, my standards are much higher. She said, tell me where you are. I want to spend time with you, but not like the other ladies do. They're just there for sex, but I have standards. I have standards that ain't going to happen before we're married. Now, you might think, are you saying you're not supposed to do that before you get married? It's kind of old school. Yeah, it is old school, but it's the way God has set up our relationships and the way God says sex is supposed to be used and enjoyed. Yes, after marriage. So if you're dating, you've got two choices. You can either honor God together or you can sin together. Your honeymoon can be business as usual or it can be a whole new fun experience that's your choice now if you've messed up don't let that make you feel guilty let it make you resolve that you're drawing a line okay we're done so when we do get to the honeymoon it's not going to be business as usual it's going to be something we anticipate and something we enjoy and not just the same old same old so wherever you are if you've messed up draw a line if you haven't messed up put your standards up there and say, this is the way God designed it, and this is the way it's going to happen. Because if you start now to develop standards like she did, she drew a line and said, I'm not going to be like those women. I might love you. I might care about you. I might think you're the perfect person for me, but I'm not doing that with you because I have standards. I mean, there's some results to her saying, I'm going to be the one with character. I'm going to be honest. I have standards. I mean, she's the one with character and with honesty and with standards. And all of that ends up being very attractive to Solomon. If you're, if you're single and you're dating someone, you're thinking, I always date people and they they seem like they're just after one thing. If you've been dating person after person and you don't like what you've been catching, maybe you should use a different bait. Maybe you should think differently about what you're doing to attract the people that you're attracting. So now she says all of this to him. She says, oh, you've got character. You're like perfume that's poured out. And she says, I wanna be honest about who I am. I'm just a working class girl, and I've got standards. There's things I'm not gonna do even though I'm falling in love with you and I'm attracted to you. There's standards that I have. And then he speaks to her. And listen what he says. Because she clearly has earned his respect. He says, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Now, why would he compare it to a horse? I mean, guys, it's probably not wise to go home and say, honey, I was driving home today and I saw this horse out in the field and I just thought of you. <laughs> You're just like that horse. you just, don't try that. Probably it's not, doesn't have the romantic tone that this would have had. What he was saying to her is you are like Pharaoh's horses. Pharaoh's horses were strong. Pharaoh's horses were out in front. Pharaoh's horses were these stern horses that were probably white. Just Google the painting, Pharaoh's horses. They're white. He recognized her insecurities. My skin is dark. I'm just a working class girl. It's all leathered from the sun. And he said, oh, no. When I see you, I see one of those strong horses like in front of Pharaoh's chariot. So don't worry about... your skin is weathered because I see that beautiful white horse when I see you. I don't see the dark leathered skin. And he says, you are beautiful to me. Your eyes, they flutter like the wings of a dove. And notice where all of his compliments are directed. They're all above the neck. He's not saying, girl, mm, look at that. Like tighten that bell a little more. Make this pain. He's not saying anything like that. He's saying, he's looking into her eyes and he's saying, that's what your eyes are like. This is what your cheeks are like. I want to put earrings in your ear. He's keeping his comments above the neck for a reason. He's trying to talk to her insecurities. And if you're in a relationship where someone is not sensitive enough to notice your insecurities and try to help talk you through those, then that relationship needs to grow or you need to not take it to another level. And if you're married and that communication is just not happening, then you need to take steps to help make it start to happen. See, she earned his respect She didn't start out being the veiled woman who said, I'm gonna give you whatever you want because I like you a lot, because you have great character. So I'm gonna give you anything here that you want. She said, I have standards. And something about those standards attracted him to her. Not the fact she was willing to do anything he wanted. She just said, I wanna talk to you and I'm not gonna talk like those other women do. I just want to get to know you. I want to talk to you. He was attracted to her standards more than her being permissive with her body with him could have ever attracted him. And he immediately started to help her through her insecurities. And when you're dating somebody, that's the time to earn their respect for who you are and who they are. So she earns his respect. She also feels special. Listen what he says to her. He says, like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. What he's saying is, when I look at you, you think your skin is too leathered. You think you're too, too muscular. When I look at you, all other women fade into the background. They're like thorns, and you're like this beautiful lily. When... I I, my brother is about eleven years older than me, so he experiences things you know a whole decade before. And there was a time in my life when I I I did not live a godly life, and I can remember my brother saying to me, "When are you going to settle down? When are you going to stop living like this?" And in relation to relationships in my life, he said, "When are you going to just like find somebody and fall in love?" And I was like, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know when I'll settle down, but I do know. I do know. That I know when I know it. When I can see a girl and everybody else fades away and nobody else turns my head. And when I can just see that girl, that's when I'll settle down. And she's sitting right over there. I married her. And so that, (laughs) thank you. That is what, that's what he's saying. When I see you, everything else just, it doesn't matter. I'm not looking for anything else. I see you, and you're just like this beautiful flower among all the thorns. So you other ladies, just your thorns, and, you're be- and she's beautiful. So she fires right back at him. She says, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. It's like, woo, it's getting there now. That, I'm, that's the last scripture I'm reading today, so... You're gonna have to come back next week and figure out what happens next. What they're doing is they are expressing their love for each other and their feelings for each other. He's saying, you're like this, and she said, no, you're like this. You're like this, no, you're like that. And they're building their relationship and we get to watch this relationship be built. So this message series is for everybody, not just for single people. If you're married and things are starting to get stale, I would encourage you to do what I've encouraged every couple that's ever come to talk to me about what's going on in their relationship, if it's starting to get stale. The first thing I ask them to do every time is write down what attracted you to him, what attracted you to her, why did you fall in love? Now, a marriage is not fixed by that one simple act, but that's a great first step. That you look at that other person, and you say, here's why I fell in love with you. Here's what attracted me to you. Here's what, made, here's what made me so interested in you. And you both say that to each other. That might fix a lot, but it can definitely start to maybe crack the wall that's been built up maybe over years. So if I'm ever going to find the one, I got to start with being the one. And is there one person out there with whom you'll lock eyes with and everything's going to be wonderful? Maybe, but there's not just one person out there because what if you miss them? You've messed up the world's formula. (laughs) It's not just one person you should be looking for. It's a type of person. So what type of person do you wanna give your life to on this earth? That's what you need to be thinking about. And you don't start with looking for them. You start with being the one. Deciding that you're going to be the one before you find the one, it'll keep you from marrying the wrong person. It'll keep you from being in abusive relationship after abusive relationship. It'll bring a lot more joy to the relationships that you have. The fact is, anytime two people come together in any kind of a relationship, there is going to be conflict. It's going to be difficult at times. It's going to be tough. There's going to be arguments. It all looks good in the beginning. I mean, in the beginning, I've never seen a wedding and thought, that was the dumbest, ugliest thing I ever saw. Every wedding I've ever done, when the bride comes down the aisle and I'm standing there with the groom and I see his face light up and I see this beautiful glowing bride, every single one, I think, this is beautiful. But everybody falls in love with the front end of a puppy. But it's not long. It's not long till you have to follow that puppy around with a food lion bag picking up its poop. So... At some level, everything starts out great, but you've got to learn how to deal with the other end too because that comes into everybody's life. And that's what we're going to be talking about through this series. How do I deal with the front end and the back end? Because everybody's got to deal with that. Some people say this story, this love story between these two is just an allegory. And it's really about... The passion and love that we are loved with by God, how much Jesus loves us, how much he loves the church. And some scholars say that's what it's about. And I think it can be applied that way because that is the same love that he has for each of us. And so maybe your first step is to say, first, I need to follow Christ. Because if you've got somebody that does follow Christ and somebody that doesn't and they come together, they're headed in separate directions no matter what. So what if for you the first step is, I'm gonna believe that Jesus is who he says he is and I'm gonna take that step. I'm gonna follow him. Maybe that's the step you need to take today. Let's pray. God, thank you for this challenging verses, these challenging verses from the Old Testament. And God, as we explore these two people expressing their love for each other, may it make our relationship stronger. May it make those those who are single resolve to be the one with character and honesty and standards. And God, for those that think that maybe marriage is never going to happen for them, may you fill them with confidence in knowing that following you first will lead to peace with their circumstances and answers for what's next. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.